How can we recognize false teachers and false prophets from genuine ones? What are the distinguishing marks of a false teacher or false prophet? See, unfortunately, many good intentioned believers are being deceived by false teachers and prophets that actually claim to be speaking for God. And scripture is very clear about how to know whether or not we should mark and avoid someone. So how do we discern between those who are truly sent from God and speaking from God versus those who are not? That's what we'll be addressing today. So let's jump into the scriptures for episode seven in this series about hearing God. This is a officially hearing God part seven. And we have to talk about false prophets and false teachers. And so many people are quick to play the the false prophet card or the false teacher card when someone disagrees with them theologically. And the question becomes, well, according to scripture, you know, what is a false prophet actually? How do we qualify that? How do we make sure we're not throwing that card down unnecessarily? And how do we begin to discern? Like, because there are people who are going to come into your life And they're going to claim to speak for God. You have to understand this. There are people who are going to come into your life and they're going to claim authoritative divine decree from God that I am here to speak on behalf of God. And if you don't listen to me, you're not listening to God. How do we know? When a word is actually from God, when when someone is truly sent from God. How do I know when I'm sitting in a Sunday service hearing from someone that is really trying to follow God rather than someone that's interested in money and fame and influence? How do I know? How do I know when someone says they had a dream about me or they have a word from God or a prophetic insight that it's actually God speaking through them rather than someone trying to counterfeit God to take advantage of me? How do we know? That's a part of this conversation when it comes to hearing God's voice. And too often you have two extremes. You have the people who are have shut themselves off to any prophetic words and any prophetic insights and any and God speaking through dreams they've shut that down and they've closed themselves off to any of that being a possibility so when someone does come who has a legitimate word from the Lord and, or has a prophetic insight into their life and they go no God doesn't speak like that anymore thank you false prophet and they send them away the other extreme is that people are open to everything because they're like prophecy still for today God still speaks through dreams and visions Therefore, anyone who says anything in the name of the Lord, I just take it as it is and I receive it. You got to use discernment. So when it comes to hearing God's voice, we've already talked about this. When we talk about hearing God's voice, there's a, there's a progression to this. We know God's voice. We hear God's voice. Then we recognize God's voice. Then we discern that it's him. Then we're receptive. And then we listen and act on what it is that he's calling us to do. Because every word God speaks into our life carries purpose and intention And there's an intent behind it to do something, all right? And so there's so many ways to begin talking about this, but I just want to, this is more of a a warning message. So many believers are listening to people on YouTube. (laughs) Some of you are like, YouTube, buddy, I'm listening to you right now. So many believers are like, they run to a YouTube channel or a podcast or a a a pastor or a church or an organization or some online like secretive group and and they're they're looking to a person or a group of people for truth they're saying teach me i want to learn from you and unknowingly there are a lot of good intention believers that are being taught by um people who i would say are false prophets and false teachers now i don't know any names off the top of the head Right now, I don't need to name anyone, but I know that it's a reality. It's a reality that there might even be some of you in this chat right now 
um, that run to a so-called prophet, that run to a so-called pastor or teacher or YouTuber or TikTok or, or podcaster, and you just eat up everything they say, and you've never once thought through what they're actually saying and compared it with Scripture. You've never actually thought through the prophetic word they give for 2023 about the presidential election. You've never thought through that. You're just receiving, oh, well, they, they, they say Jesus died on a cross, so that must mean they're trustworthy. Really? So let's just think through this. The first question we really need to answer is how do we recognize false prophets? Because I don't want to begin labeling believers who love God, who are good intentioned and good hearted, and they just happen to misunderstand a passage and they communicate something wrong about the scriptures. And then I go, false prophet, false teacher, blasphemer, because there are too many people like that in my YouTube comments and on YouTube in general. They're just waiting. The keyboard warriors, they're waiting, lurking in the shadows for someone to say something wrong so they can pounce. These, these Call them discernment ministries. Call them whatever you want. They're waiting for something to be said wrong. And there's, there's a time to correct. There's a time to publicly inform others of what's being said. There's a time to expose deception. And there are other times to have compassion and understanding on a good-hearted, good-intentioned believer that just didn't know Philippians 4 was actually talking about something different. And to take them, you know, privately, behind closed doors, talk to them and say, you know what, I just wanted to let you know that what you said about Philippians 4, the context there isn't actually implying the main point that you said it was, but you got a lot of it right. There's a time and place for that. So we want to have a balance here. We don't want to be people that are waiting to play the false prophet card, waiting to expose someone as a false teacher, waiting to find someone that will finally blow up my discernment ministry YouTube channel. We don't want to be people like that. What I want to be is someone who is discerning, but not, um, I don't know, quick to play that card. Cynical, I guess would be the word. Um, So how do we recognize false prophets? Here's some characteristics of a false prophet. And I want you to pay attention, okay? Pay very close attention to the commonalities in these scriptures. When we look at passages that have to do with false prophets, there's going to be an undertone to a lot of what's being said. You're going to see a a lot of repeating ideas, a lot of repeating words. I would encourage you, break out a notepad. If you don't know how to write, take out your phone and type. And do something to take notes and think through, when I'm looking at these passages, What are some commonalities? What are some common things I see running through these scriptures? Okay? Because I want you to be discerning. I just don't want you to be cynical. I want you to be thoughtful and receptive to people speaking on behalf of God. But I don't want you to be taken advantage of. I don't want you to be gullible. I don't want you to be non-discerning. I want you to be thoughtful, biblically sound. I want you to be grounded in the scriptures And also compassionate and understanding, but also firm and stern where you need to be. And I think too many of us are only on one side. We're either too stern or we're too relaxed. Let's find a balance today. Like Joshua says in the chat, Satan does come disguised. Actually, it says that he has messengers um, that are disguised as angels of light. So discernment. I want you to be discerning. Instead of being I promise I'm going to jump in the scriptures now. But instead of believing every prophetic word your mom sends you from YouTube channel from that one guy that got one thing right in 2013, instead of just going, well, I guess the world's falling apart. I guess the market's going to crash down. I guess I should start stockpiling. 
Instead of believing everything that everyone says in the name of God, let's be thoughtful, let's be discerning, but also let's label a false prophet and a false teacher when we need to so that we can mark them. And like Paul says, I'm marking them so you know to avoid them. That's why we do this. Not to gain clout, not to make a name, not to make ourselves appear more religious and sound in our theology, but for the sake of protecting the flock. Jeremiah 29, I want you to read, uh, 23, I want you to read this with me, okay? I'm going to do my best to pay attention to the common thread that runs through all these passages about false prophets. Now, just because we see commonalities does not mean that a false prophet is restricted to these characteristics, Meaning, we're not gonna, I'm not going to give you an exhaustive description of what a false prophet or false teacher is going to be characterized by, but I am going to show you some of the main characteristics that will begin to um, characterize a false prophet. So, concerning the prophets, Jeremiah 23, my heart is broken within me. All my bones shake. I'm like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine. Because of the Lord and because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers. I want you to, as we ease into this lament over false prophets taking advantage of God's people, I really want you to pay attention to what often accompanies false prophets, false teachers, false prophets, and also, or false prophecies, and people who are, have tick, ears that they want to be tickled. And you're like, I don't want no one to tickle my ears. You know what I mean? People who have decided what they want to hear, and instead of hearing the truth, they go out looking for what they've already decided they want to hear. And they go, you don't, you're not telling me to, you're not approving of my sins, so I'm going to move on to another church. Uh, you didn't tell me that uh, same-sex marriage is okay, so I'm going to go to another church. You didn't tell me that I can live in fornication, so I'm going to, you know, we're looking, for, you didn't tell me that I could love money and be a believer, and so I'm going to find another church. We're, we're constantly, if you pay attention to how you choose what church community you want to be a part of, sometimes there is an element of self-interest involved. But, okay, I digress. I'm getting off track. For the land is full of adulterers. Because of the curse, the land mourns. And the pastures of the wilderness are dried up. This is a metaphorical, poetic way to capture the devastation that has come upon Jerusalem. Their course is evil. Their might is not right. Okay, this is speaking of those up within the nation of Israel who are rebellious, wicked, want nothing to do with God and his laws. Okay, Adultery in a physical sexual capacity, if you have children around, you might want to tell them to go play with Legos in another room. When we're talking about adultery, there is a spiritual dimension to it and a physical one. So we have adulterers. We have people whose course is evil, people whose might is not right. Both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house, I found their evil. Okay, do you, do you see what's leading up to this call, this, this almost like saddened rebuke on the part of God, uh, saddened rebuke of the prophet and priest, ungodly, they're not right, they're evil, the land is full of adulterers. Now you go, that's the people of Israel, and I agree, but I think what's mainly in mind are the people who should be shepherding and leading and guiding the flock are giving themselves over to some absolute heinous wickedness. Therefore their way shall be to them like slippery paths in the darkness. 
into which they shall be driven and fall, for I will bring disaster upon them in the year of their punishment. So Jeremiah, by the word of the Lord, is seeing the destruction that's coming upon Jerusalem and Judah. Declares the Lord. And the prophets of Samaria, who are we talking about here? Prophets. Samaria being um, the southern, uh, northern kingdom, rather. The capital of the northern kingdom. I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied by Baal. They led my people Israel astray. But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I've seen a horrible thing. So now we're looking at the southern kingdom. We're looking at those, really, um, you know, the tribe of Judah, Jerusalem. I've seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery. They walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers. So what is, what is said about these false prophets and false teachers so far? They're intentionally, and you say the word intentional isn't there. That's the underlying tone, though, is that these people know what they're doing. They're purposely prophesying by Baal. In other words, whatever divine insight they claim to be receiving is from Baal, the Canaanite God, rather than the true and living God of Israel, the God of creation. In other words, they're information comes from a tainted source, a corrupted source, and they're delivering that to the people. They're looking to false gods for whatever it is that they're telling people, and they're leading the people astray. And we saw up here they're characterized by being ungodly, evil, not right, adulterers. They commit adultery, and they walk in lies. Now, because of the fact that this is paired with false gods and idolatry, I would say that the idea of adultery here is not limited to, but mainly is talking about this spiritual um, adultery against God, you might say, this violation of the marital covenant between Israel and God in the Old Covenant. Okay, just to use terminology you're familiar with, the Old Covenant given through Moses between God and his people Israel, they're violating that covenant. It's as if they're cheating on their husband being God. There's a lot of that terminology, okay? And they walk in lies. So not only do they prophesy lies, they're living out lies. So it's not just what someone says that makes them a false prophet or a false teacher. It's how someone walks. It's how someone lives. Now, I don't believe the two can be separated, okay? Because out of the heart does, or out of the mouth proceeds what is truly in the heart, right? So the the mouth utters what is truly... Out of a cow when I said utters, the mouth utters what is truly found in the heart. And so the heart will reveal what's inside of it through what you say and how you live. So I don't, I'm not saying you set, you only focus on what someone says or you only focus on what someone is, how someone is living. I'm saying, look at both, weigh both. And sometimes we hyper-focus on one or the other. Okay. So these people, they walk in adultery, commit adultery, walk in lines. They strengthen the hands of evildoers. In other words, they're not just telling people. Not only are they not telling people to do the right things, they're actually telling, encouraging people to do wrong. I feel like there's a third option. You, you could at least, instead of, if you're someone who's like, if you're a false prophet and you're like, I'm not going to tell people what God wants them to do. Okay, at least be silent. But these guys are a step lower than that. They're not silent. They're telling people to do wrong. They're encouraging the hands of evildoers. There's something about their prophecy that is rooted in a false God that comes from a tainted source that is actually encouraging people to live in sin. So you have to wonder, okay, is a false prophet 
and a false teacher characterized, characterized by wherever they go, what's left in their wake is people living in sin and being encouraged to do so because the prophet came in and encouraged that. Is that going to be a common theme with false prophets and false teachers that we see in the scriptures? And and I'm absolutely sure that, yes, you're going to see that like 100% of the time. So that no one turns from his evil, right? So the prophets, the messengers of God are meant to turn the people, return them back to God and say, hey, let's return back to God. Instead, they're saying, no, keep going away from him. So there's something about their prophecies, their teachings and their life that is driving people away from holiness. It's driving people away from obedience and sanctification and repentance and returning to God from whatever life and beliefs they have currently. There's something about the false prophets and false teachers that not only encourage people to continue in sin, but they don't encourage people at all to return back to God and do what he says. There's none of that. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, I will feed them with bitter food. I will give them poisoned water to drink. So you're supposed to think the waters of um, uh, Meribah and right after Egypt, their waters turned to blood. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out into the all, all the land. So there's a hierarchy of influence when it comes to the nation of Israel. And I want you to see this. It's not just that the people are running rampant, destroying each other, like falling into idolatry and sexual morality and perversion and ungodliness. It's that it starts at the top. It actually starts from the top. The people whom God has appointed to shepherd his people have a great degree of influence on the people of Israel. The shepherds, the priests, the prophets, even the king. Okay, so that that, that trifecta, those three individual roles have a great amount of influence And because of that, they come with a tremendous amount of responsibility. So if you're corrupted at the top and it trickles all the way down into the people and the people already want to be wicked without you in the picture, how evil will the people be? Left to their own devices, they already want sin. They're already after false gods. That's why the prophets come in to correct But if the people who are sent to correct the sin actually reinforce the sin and it's evil from the top down, how ungodly will a nation be? And this is why I want you to understand that we often characterize false prophets and false teachers by just what they say from the pulpit. And I think that is one metric to look at. It's what this is. Look, first Corinthians talks about if anyone speaks Uh, It says Jesus is accursed. He's not speaking by the Spirit of God. First John will tell us, if anyone denies the deity of Jesus or the humanity of Jesus or the incarnation of Jesus, they're speaking and operating by the Spirit of Antichrist. So we do have these metrics we can use to gauge what someone says and measure that against the Scriptures. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you have to understand when Jeremiah is lamenting by the word of the Lord over the prophets and the priests of that day, it's mainly about not just what they're saying, but how they're living. Because the people of Israel are not just going to listen to what they're saying. The people of Israel are going to look at the example that the priests and prophets are modeling in their lifestyle. 
And so this, this touches on, we could go into a conversation about church leadership. We can go into a conversation about the government and people who are, have a great amount of influence and responsibility. We could go there, but I just want to focus on us for a minute. I want to focus on us. <clears throat> this is not to say that a degree of ungodliness or a degree of giving into sin just because that's present in your life, does, that, that makes you a false prophet. That's not what I'm saying. But you need to understand what so far, what so far most characterizes a false prophet and false teacher is wickedness is their lifestyle. Ungodliness is their lifestyle. Adultery, lack of repentance is their lifestyle. And then they encourage other people to come and do the same. This is what Romans 1 warns us of. If I could take you there for a second, then we'll come back to Jeremiah. Thank you, Lord, for bringing this one to mind because I, they need to see this one. <clears throat> um, it's right here. There are people who know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things which is this list of sins right here, they deserve to die. And even though they know that, not only do they do them, they give approval. They clap the hands and say, grace, the grace of God covers that. That's why Jesus came to die. You're okay, brother. They give approval to those who practice them. There is a fine line between encouraging believers to get up and motivating that by the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God, there's a fine line between that and actually encouraging people to live in sin. You and I walk a tightrope. When we're encouraging and counseling and, and, and praying with people, there is a tightrope to walk. While I don't ever want to bring any sense of condemnation upon an individual, if they're in Christ, there is none of that. While I don't want to bring any of that into the picture, I also don't want anyone to leave the conversation with me thinking that grace, mercy, and forgiveness, and the righteousness of Jesus means my sin is okay. Just think about that. Verse 16, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. Is there any, is there any preacher, as my voice cracks, any YouTuber, any TikToker, any famous megachurch pastor that comes to mind when you, when I tell you who comes to mind um, for you? When I say people, an individual that fills someone with vain hopes, <clears throat> I probably said that in a very long roundabout and unclear way. So let me say it again. Who can you think of that uses the pulpit to fill people with vain hopes? Don't list any names in the chat. I just want you to be thinking through that. Because vain hopes means God is not going to do what they're expecting him to do. Actual hope means I have eager expectation for what God is actually going to do because he promised and he said he would. These false prophets, they speak visions of their own minds. Do you know anyone or anytime you ask them a question or for advice or for direction, the first thing they go to is some 
spectacular vision, dream, uh, sense of um, I'm seeing, and it's not, what does the scripture say? It's what do I feel in this moment? Um, Just think through that. Uh, They speak visions of their own minds, meaning they are not concerned for what God actually has said. They're concerned with what does my depraved mind outside of God want? And then I'm going to kind of use that with self-interest. And those are going to be the raw ingredients for what I tell people. Whatever I'm telling people, it started with my imagination and my deceitful heart and my depraved mind outside of God. That's what these false prophets do. They don't start with the scriptures. They don't start with thus saith the Lord. They start with what do I want? What do I desire? What will benefit me? And then I want to find any passages of scripture to reinforce that so I can falsely encourage people to do things and give them false hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it'll be okay. It'll be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster will come upon you. Please, please don't ever become this kind of individual. Where you have fallen into hyper, and yes, there is a, I think this is a proper term to use because people go, when you say hyper grace, there's no such thing. Grace is endless. No, hyper meaning you actually pervert and twist that to an ungodly extreme. That's what makes it hyper grace. Because you've now taken what is beautiful and, and a gift and supposed to be something that we, we, we relish in and praise God for. And you've used, you've twisted it to encourage sin. That's what people are doing. They're saying, it's okay. God is with you. If you despise God's word, who cares? Go after your own heart. Nothing's going to happen. See this all over the place. No disaster coming. God saves everyone. There's no disaster. There's no destruction. A loving God would not sentence you to separation from him forever. If anything, he'll terminate your existence. So that's why I'm an annihilationist because God's love can't. And then we remove any weight that is supposed to make someone reconsider where they're at with God. Not at all that punishment should lead us to the throne. But there is a sense in which along the road to coming to Jesus there will be certain things God uses along the way to pull us to him. He'll use anything. He'll use anything. This is the beauty about God and his, his, his great plan is he'll use anything to get you closer to him. And sometimes that involves a healthy fear of what you will endure if you don't come to Christ. And then that starts to make you think about, well, am I a spiritual being? Like, Am I a soul? Am I going to end up somewhere? Let me rethink this. And it actually starts to move you towards reconsidering the gospel. And you go, you know what? This is true. I believe not because I'm afraid of hell, <laughs> because I'm afraid of separation, but because I just want the free gift being offered. And that's such a gracious offer. So there's a difference. I don't want to get into that. We can talk about that later. Maybe we'll have a series on grace. But either way, Who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and hear his word? This right here, man. This right here. Think about it. Who has paid attention to his word and listened? When you've already decided what you want to tell people before even consulting the Lord, when when your only metric for what it is that I'm going to tell someone, when your only metric is what benefits me most, 
If, if your self-interest and self-benefit and self-promotion and self-preservation, if you are at the center of whatever advice or word or vision or prophecy you're giving to someone, and you have not regarded the word of the Lord, you've not considered what he says, that's a dangerous place to be. Now, that doesn't make you in that moment a false prophet, but what it means is you're kind of acting like what we see the false prophets and false teachers do in the Old Testament. And I think at times we are prone, this is not at all to say you as an unbeliever are this. What I am saying is that people who are false prophets and false teachers never have regard for what God is actually saying. They don't sit in his counsel. They don't hear from him. They don't care what he wants, what he plans, what he desires. They don't have any concern for that. In, in, in layman's terms, these are people, I'll, I'll say it like this, who have no personal relationship with God, no quiet time. Just none. And I'm not saying that a pastor who doesn't sit with the Lord personally and privately makes him a false prophet. What I am saying is if someone's truly a believer and they're truly leading a congregation as a shepherd or pastor and they don't have a private, quiet time with the Lord and they're not hearing personally from him, exploring the scriptures, letting the spirit lead them, spending time in prayer, all I'm saying is that's unhelpful. But what char- one of the characteristics that comes together with this picture of a false prophet one of these characteristics accompanied by everything else is that they have no desire. They have no, they're not sitting in his presence. They're not. They have no regard, no concern. Behold the storm of the Lord. I'm going to fast forward a little bit because this is the first passage. I am so sorry. The storm of the Lord has gone forth. The anger of the Lord, it won't turn back. I didn't send the prophets, yet they ran. So these are presumptuous individuals. I didn't speak to them, yet they prophesied. And the fact is, they know that. It's not, we can't just uh, chalk this up to, well, they're deceived. No, they know what they're doing to deceive. And they know that they're living out lies, teaching lies, prophesying lies, and they're okay with it. Because ultimately, self-interest and self-profit is their main concern. If they had stood in my counsel, they they would have proclaimed my words to my people. So what characterizes a false prophet or a false teacher? They're never going to actually declare the words of God. And if they're going to use the Bible, if they're going to use the Bible... They're only going to use that for their own selfish goals and their own personal gain. They would have turned the people away from their evil but and from their evil of their deeds. Hmm. It's almost as if, as if one of the clear lines between false prophet and true prophet and false teacher and true teacher and really unbeliever and believer is that the false counterfeits reinforce sin, never preach repentance, never preach returning to God from their evil deeds, while those who love God and actually preach and teach the word of God, it doesn't mean they're always calling people 
to repentance and turning, but it means part of their message and their heart and their mission is to return people to God. Not that they can pull them in, but to say, hey, I'm calling you to return. Repent. And that is not just a mental ascent, a change of mind philosophically, that is accompanied with a degree of lifestyle change. I don't know how you otherwise get around that. It's no possible way, man. So Jeremiah 23 says, uh, verse 23 says, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord? Am I, am I not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so I can't see him? Do I not feel heaven and earth? Verse 25, I've heard what the prophets have said. I've dreamed, I've dreamed. How long will there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy? And they prophesy the deceit of their own heart. They think to make my people forget my name. Oh, so look at the desire of false teachers and false prophets is actually to encourage people to forget the name of God. Forget his word. Disregard what he wants. Don't have any concern for what he desires for you. Don't have any concern for what he wants for your life. That's what false prophets and false teachers will will will, will utter. Just that word again. <laughs> By their dreams, they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. In other words, guess what? It's this. False prophets and false teachers aren't saying, hey, go to God. Do what he says. They're saying, follow whatever you want. Run away from God. Do the opposite of what he says. Have no concern for his word. Want to hear my dream? Want to hear my vision? It's going to be more of run from God and run to false gods and live in sin and don't obey. That's what characterizes false prophets and false teachers is not just a lifestyle of ungodliness and sin and evil, but it's this, I'll use my dreams, my visions, anything to encourage people to live in sin. That's what they do. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream. But let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. We could go on and on. Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams. They lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness. I didn't send them. I didn't charge them. They don't profit this people at all. So I want you to think through what the Lord through Jeremiah is saying about false prophets and false teachers. What's he saying? Let's look at this. Let's break it down, okay? They lead people astray, which assumes what? There's a right path. And if you're leading people away from that path, by definition, you're leading them astray from the right path. By their lies, they're lying intentionally, knowingly. They are reckless. No consideration for anyone that stands in the path of their destruction and what destruction lies behind them. They're not sent by God. God didn't send them. They don't profit people. There's no weight or substance or, or, or reverence to their words. There's no turning people to God. There's no revealing the heart of God. There's no truth and substance to what they're saying. It's literally nonsense and chatter that tickles the ears of people only to want to come back next week to hear more. So do you see it? This is the first passage. What characterizes false prophets and false teachers so far is a life of wickedness, encouraging wickedness, discouraging repenting and returning from God, discouraging following God, sexual immorality and perversion. It's just in their wake and in front of them. They're going after that. 
you're going to see so much more. They have no concern to profit others. It's empty, vain, useless words and prophecies. A lot of nothing. And you hear that. Go to YouTube. You're on YouTube right now. Search. Not right now, but later. Okay. Later. Search on YouTube. Prophecies for 2024. You're going to see a lot of shenanigans. A lot of vain imaginations, vain hopes, made up ideas. And frankly, people who might even think they're hearing from God, but they don't care enough to really ask, so they'd rather just assume and be presumptuous to get views. You're going to hear a lot of vain nonsense, a lot of chit-chat that does nothing. It doesn't move you to action. It doesn't reveal God. It doesn't encourage holiness. You're going to see a lot of that. Jeremiah 5, 12 and 13 the next passages we're going to look at are just like one or two verses each. Okay, not like 30. Jeremiah 5, 12 and 13 says this. They've spoken falsely of the Lord. People who are false teachers and prophets knowingly lie about God. They've said he will do nothing when they know he will. That sounds like the serpent in Genesis 3. It really does. You won't surely die. What are you talking about? You'll be fine false prophets in Jeremiah's day. You'll be fine. There's no destruction coming. There's no consequences for your mistakes. God's forgiving. You're fine. Just keep worshiping Baal. Keep sleeping around. Keep violating your neighbors. Keep taking and stealing and just taking advantage of people and oppressing. And Don't even care, man. God won't do anything. That's what false prophets and false teachers do. They not only say lies, they undermine what God has said. No disaster will come upon us. We won't see sword or famine. Prophets will become wind. The word is not in them. This is what the Lord says. The word is not in them. Scriptures all over the place make it pretty clear. Not that I can definitively declare someone saved or not. Not that I can definitively declare someone is born again or not. But you can see evidence of the word of God at work in a person's life. You will see the fruits of the spirit. You will see sanctification. You will see transformation. You'll see a growing theology of God, a proper understanding of God according to his word. You'll see these different things where you go, that is evidence that the word of God is in them. Now, I'm not definitively declaring, thus saith the Lord, they're born again believer, but man, It sure looks as though the word of God is at work in them. With false prophets and false teachers, you don't see that. Now, again, I'm sure you're like, but I can't like, I can't just follow, I don't know, think of whatever pastor you follow or whatever YouTuber. I can't just follow them around and see if they live holy. You can get a pretty good idea. Uh, I guess we'll keep reading. We'll just keep reading. I'll, I'll tell you what I mean in a second. I don't want to get ahead of head of the game. We're making progress here. Jeremiah 14. uh, He says, the prophets are prophesying lies. I didn't send them. I didn't command them. They're prophesying a lying vision, knowingly worthless divination, meaning they're actually involving themselves, themselves in um, some occult stuff and sorcery and, and witchcraft and divination and the whole that when that is a part of someone's ministry 
and the way they deliver the word of the Lord, um, run for the hills. The deceit of their own minds. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, although I didn't send them, who say, sword and famine won't come upon this land. You have to understand the context. God, over and over through Jeremiah, is saying, famine and destruction are coming. And these false prophets are saying, no, they're not. (laughs) You guys dumb? There's nothing coming. Hey, turn around. Anything coming? No? Okay, then you're dumb. There's nothing coming. Now, guys, just keep sinning, keep living in whatever. That's what's happening. By sword and famine, these prophets will be consumed. The people to whom they prophesy will be cast out in the streets. This is their future. Um, both prophet and priest ply their trade through the land. They have no knowledge. They have no knowledge. This is the last passage of Jeremiah 29. Again, what are we looking for? Common ideas about false prophets and false teachers. Here, oh, good Lord, I got 12 verses for you guys. Hear the word of the Lord, all you exiles. This is Jeremiah 29. You know that passage? Uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. This is 10 verses before. I know the plans I have for you. Not for evil, but for good. Future, but in the middle of their exile, there are consequences for their sin, but God intends to bring good through that for the future generations. Hear the word of the Lord, you exiles, concerning Ahab, Zedekiah. They're prophesying lies. I will deliver them into the hand of Nebi, king of Babylon. He'll strike them down before your eyes because of them. This curse shall be used. The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab because they've done an outrageous thing in Israel. They've committed adultery with their neighbors' wives. I showed you in Jeremiah 23, and I think it was in Jeremiah 5, that sexual perversion, adultery, um, mindless sleeping around and cheating on one another or even just outside of marriage, sexual relations, that is a huge part of a false prophet and false teacher's life. Now, of course, you can't necessarily like know they're doing that. But the fact of the matter is, it's interesting that you're going to see adultery. Now, this is not spiritual adultery here. It's actually with neighbors' wives. They've spoken in my name lying words. I didn't command them. I'm the one who knows and I'm witness. The outrageous thing that they're doing and getting away with Um, Sounds a lot like Samuel's sons who were supposed to, um, you know, be helping people at the tabernacle in Shiloh. And instead they're taking God's portions of the sacrifice and sleeping around with the women around there. And God brings judgment. So you wonder, why is it? And I, I don't necessarily think I know the answer. I could definitely put some ideas out there. But I would like to ask you, Why is it that false teachers and false prophets are usually involved in adultery? Why is it that that's a part, that's like one of the characteristics? I'm not saying that in and of itself makes someone a false prophet. I'm saying, why is it that when false prophecy comes and a false prophet comes, usually attached to that comes adultery? 
to Shemaiah of Nehalem, you shall say, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Uh, the Lord has made you priest instead of instead of Jehoiada uh, to have charge in the house of the Lord. Zephaniah, I'm just kind of skimming to make sure I, this is the right passage. Um, they speak rebellion. I guess that's that was the, the point of that passage. I don't want to like unnecessarily read verses that don't talk about false prophets, but Lamentations 2.14, also Jeremiah. Uh, your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity. Notice, what characterizes false prophets and false teachers is, I feel, I think, I believe, I see. It starts with their perspective. It starts with their understanding and their reasoning. That's what is ultimate. Their standard of truth is their own heart, their own deceptive heart. Their standard of truth is their own reasoning and understanding that's actually, you know, corrupted by sin without Christ. And the point of that is, if they're seeing false and deceptive visions and then um, sharing that with people, then they're spreading lies in the name of God. And that's... That's a lot of what you'll see when it comes to false prophets and false teachers. It's not the Lord says. If anything, it's, yeah, the Lord's word says, but I, ha- I saw a dream or I had a vision or, or I saw in my mind or I feel. And then the word of God is just a, a confirming role in that. Just a confirming role. In other words, the word of God is not ultimate for false prophets and teachers. If anything, it's, it's a tool in their hands to communicate the lies and deceive people into believing their lying visions and dreams. I've seen, they've seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. And again, what we're trying to figure out is, okay, how do I know? <laughs> how, how do I know when someone who comes in the name of God tells me, They've seen a vision or they have a dream that's about me or they have a word from God. How do I know it's a false and misleading dream or vision or word? I don't know their life. I don't know who they are. Well, you sure as heck don't just receive that blindly. You absolutely discern through that, think through that, pray through that. And if anything, fast. Get godly counsel. But I would not... Again, if this is like a stranger just kind of float, just kind of being blown into your life and then they give you a word and then they're blown out of your life, you can't test their life. This is for people who you can. Uh, Ezekiel 13 says a lot about false prophets too. Now again, you can think about all the different components we've addressed. Intentional deception, uh, their, their own minds and their own reasoning and their own hearts are the ultimate standard of truth. Uh, They're characterized by sin and wickedness and sexual immorality. Um, What else? They're turning people away from God, discouraging people from repenting and believing and following God. Now, read Ezekiel 13. It says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are prophesying. And say to those who prophesy from their own hearts. Meaning, they're not asking God, Is this prophetic word from you? They're assuming presumptuously and arrogantly that what my heart told me about someone is true. And I'm going to give that to them without even considering what God wants. Hear the word of the Lord. Watch. 
Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit. They've seen nothing. Now, it doesn't mean, I guess there's a dual meaning here. It could mean that what they're seeing amounts to nothing and it's deception, or they're actually seeing nothing and claiming to see something and they're lying. These false prophets. Your prophets have been like jackals among ruins, O Israel. You've not gone up into breaches or built up a wall that it might stand in the day of battle. They've seen false visions and lying divinations. Again, divination is a part of their ministry. Think about that. I don't know, astrology or um, different components of tarot cards, witchcraft. Well, you know, God has Christian tarot cards. Are you out of your dang mind? They say, declares the Lord when the Lord hasn't sent them. Yet they expect him to fulfill their word. Have you not seen a false vision and uttered a lying divination? I want you to see how... Now, this is again, again. One of the enemy's tactics is to give so many counterfeits of something that believers ignore the real version and disregard the real version. And you go, what the heck are you talking about? Here's what I mean. You have believers who are cessationists, brothers and sisters, if you're cessationist, you believe certain gifts have ceased because of the apostolic age, whatever, okay? Not going to talk about that. But if you're cessationist and you go, I don't believe in the gifts, and part of your reasoning is that I've seen so many counterfeit versions of prophecy and visions and dreams, and I just disregard it altogether. If that's part of your reasoning, then the enemy has absolutely won in that regard. He's deceived you. So I don't think it, I, I don't think it's a coincidence. When I read the scriptures and I go, it's very interesting to me that false prophets and false teachers, a lot of it is visions, divinations, dreams. Now, of course, you're going, well, the prophets are supposed to do that. Prophets are supposed to have dreams, supposed to have visions, supposed to have words, supposed to, you know, experience some kind of supernatural experience to give to the people. That's what's supposed to happen. That's not their only role, though. God can deliver a word or they can just declare what's already been written in the Hebrew scriptures up to that point in the Torah. They can say what the word of God actually already says instead of making something up new. But it's interesting that with a lot of false prophets, false teachers, you will end up seeing a lot of their ministry revolves mainly to the disregard of God's word. It's visions, dreams, divinations, words, supernatural. And the enemy wants to counterfeit that so much that you start to be kind of turned off to the idea that there's a real version. You forget that there's the gifts of the Spirit. You forget that God speaks, not just in Acts 2 and Joel, I forget what passage, but all throughout the scriptures, there seem to be all these different times along the way where God is speaking in dreams and visions. And we've talked about this. We've talked in great length about this in previous episodes. I don't want to keep talking about it because I know some of you are like, well, go into it. It took hours to explain that. I had to reason through the scriptures why I believe the gifts are still even active and why God still speaks in that way. And now we have to kind of backtrack and go, well, hold on. Just because he does doesn't mean there won't be counterfeits. And I feel like the enemy is very good at counterfeiting to make you disregard altogether. Because this is what people do. They're like, I've been so deceived by dreams and visions. I just, I disregard all of them now. I've been so turned, you know, hurt by false lying words people had about me that I just disregarded altogether. And God's never going to speak to me in that way. So I just have closed myself off. And in that way, the enemy does 
temporarily win in that regard. It's a bummer. To turn yourself off to certain gifts, to shut off the faucet that God said keep it on, that's a bummer. But either way, you have lying visions, lying divinations, false visions, and once again, they're misleading people. And it's to undermine what true prophets are saying. I want you to think through that. Is It's not just, here's what, this is what false prophets and false teachers do. Now you can flip it and go, well, that's what true prophets do. They tell you that false prophets are lying. Sure. But you have to understand that what characterizes false prophets and false teachers and their ministry is a lot of gaslighting. A lot of pointing the finger and undermining and making true prophets and true teachers of God's word look stupid and foolish and and go, look how dumb they are, to bolster themselves and say, that's why you should listen to me. That's why you should listen to me. So a lot of the false prophet, false teacher ministry is to undermine genuine teachers and preachers, genuine prophets, people who have really been sent by God, and to point the finger and discredit them and gaslight them. That's, That's a part of what they do. Matthew 7, 15 through 20, now we're New Testament. Now we're Jesus, now we're apostles, now, not we are, but we're looking at what they say. Beware of false prophets. They'll come to you in sheep's clothing. Why? Because they're disguising themselves on purpose. So this is the difference, I think, for me. One of the key differences between a false prophet and a true prophet, or a false teacher and a true teacher of God's word, a false believer and a true believer, whatever, okay? This is one of my this is one of the key distinctions for me is that one is intentionally deceiving and the other might have made a mistake but they were truly doing their best to communicate the word of God as they know it with the degree of understanding they have they're trying to be honest with the text and revere God and help God's people and they just slipped up because if you are only going to say a false prophet or false teacher is someone who gets it wrong then none of us should be in ministry I shouldn't be on here. There's probably a lot just in this last month that I've said that later on in like five years, I'm going to look back and go, that wasn't entirely correct. But I'm doing my best to honestly and accurately deliver the word of God to the best of my ability with a reverence for God, with a care for you. That is what a lot of people do versus people who are putting on a sheepskin to walk around and intentionally trick people. They don't care if they get it wrong. They want to get it wrong. Inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Now, fruits throughout Matthew's gospel is mainly, not only, but mainly referring to the confession of the lips about Jesus and his ministry in the kingdom. Who do you say that I am? That is a good indication of where someone is at. Who do you say Jesus is? Based off that question alone sometimes, I can determine whether or not I should listen to someone or not. That doesn't mean I go, you're false. But if someone denies the humanity of Jesus, the divinity of Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the sufficiency of Jesus, the work of Jesus on the cross, if they deny any of that, that's a huge That's possibly one of the biggest red flags that should shoot up for you to go, nope, I don't want to hear anything more that you have to say. 
your theology is garbage if it absolutely diminishes who Jesus is or what he's done. So that that's not the only way to explain what fruit is, but in this context, that is one of that is the main way. You'll recognize them by their fruits. The fruit of one's lips, their confession about Christ is is a clear indication of where they're at in their heart. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. This is referring to the heart of a person. Not only will you see the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, patience, kindness, self-control, understanding, gentleness, all these different things. Not only will you see a life that is slowly being conformed to the image of Jesus, but you'll also be able to hear the confession someone has about Jesus. A healthy tree can't bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. That sounds very similar to 1 Corinthians 12. I want to take you there. It says, uh, I want you to understand, no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. So someone who has the Spirit of God and is speaking in the Spirit of God seems to be likened to a good tree. And the good fruit being produced through their lips is a good confession about Jesus. They will never say Jesus is accursed. They'll say Jesus is Lord. Someone has to have the Spirit of God within them. Not just to admit on paper or verbally real quick in passing, but to actually like claim that allegiance in faith and loyalty and that profession about Jesus. So we, we could go on and on with that. I, I don't think I have to. I think we just read Matthew chapter 7 and we go, you know what? I can, God has given you the ability by his spirit to discern. Now, don't be careful. I've seen too many people call suspicion discernment. And because they don't like someone or like how someone operates or like what they say or like how they conduct themselves and they disagree, their personalities clash, they then take that suspicion and go, I'm just discerning and I don't think they're like a good fit here. It's like, no, you just decided for a very shallow reason you didn't like them or you disagreed with them. And then within that disagreement, you call it, you feel the suspicion towards them and you call it discernment. Now you're warning people to stay away from them. That's called divisiveness. That's called divisiveness. Being discerning doesn't mean being cynical. Being discerning doesn't mean prejudging. Being discerning doesn't mean evaluating people based on human appearances. Being discerning doesn't mean letting my suspicions guide my reasoning. Does that make sense? I I could say it a hundred other different ways, but I think you get the point. Your suspicions should not lead your life. Your suspicions need to be discerned as well. And you can't just call it discernment. You can't. It's a terrible way to live. You're going to push people away too fast. rough. You got to hear it. Matthew 24, 11, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. There, there, there's that common theme. What is it that the spirit of God, or rather, pff, that's the opposite of what I wanted to say. What is it that false prophets and false teachers always do? They're leading people astray. So let, let me say it like this. One of the 
biggest ways to tell someone is genuinely a purposeful false teacher, a false prophet, is look at the people around them who are closest to them, who they're leading, who they're shepherding, who they're teaching. Look at the lives they're leading. Look at the direction they're going. Look at the course they're on. And then compare that with the path God has for them. Compare that with what the scriptures say. Compare that with what God has revealed very clearly about his desires for us. Are they walking the path of light? Or is that teacher or preacher or prophet leading people away from God into sin, into darkness? Hey, God's grace, you're forgiven, brother. Don't let your sin be your identity. Well, I believe that. But does that mean we excuse sin? 1 Timothy 6, 3-7. Or deny sin? 1 John would say, if you deny sin or excuse sin in your own life, good, you're in big trouble. First Timothy 6, 3-7. I, I, I think there's a difference, to be clear. There's a biblical difference between being righteous, holy, and sinless, right? Versus... I still struggle with sin. Just because you don't, you are not a sinner anymore because of Jesus. Just because you are now righteous and holy and perfect and forgiven in the sight of God through Jesus doesn't mean that what you do is no longer, is, is now defined differently. No, who you are is different. But what you do at times is still a mistake. It's still a sin. It's still missing the mark. Is God going to condemn you for it? No, that's what it means for him to actually disregard uh, your sin in terms of judging you for it. But you still did it, and someone had to pay for it. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and doesn't agree with sound, the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy. I want you to really, really, really see this. Okay. Paul is telling Timothy, be careful of false teachers. What are these false teachers? They teach a different doctrine. What does that mean? The biblical historical gospel, the good news of Jesus and what he's done and who he is. They change that. They teach something different. It doesn't agree with the sound words of our Lord. They teach something that is in disagreement with Jesus and what he said. Their teaching does not accord with godliness. Once again, there's something about a false teacher, a false prophet's life and teaching that will encourage ungodliness, encourage sin. God's teaching accords with godliness. It encourages holiness. It encourages sanctification. But the people who are living out sin, darkness, in opposition to God, and then teaching that, it's going to encourage others to do the same. Your life and your message, pause, let's focus on you and me. Our life and our words are encouraging people to live a certain way. Yeah? We're encouraging people to live a certain way by what we say and how we live. And these people, they're puffed up, meaning prideful, they're conceited, I'm just going to mark anything I see. They understand nothing. They have an unhealthy craving for controversy. They sound almost gossipy. 
They want to quarrel about words. You know anyone like that? I just want to, I just want to, let's find something to disagree about and let's make a big deal out of it. I just want to talk about what we disagree on so I can flex on you or, dis- or prove someone wrong. I just want to, I just want to fight about words. I just want to nitpick. Their lives, their teaching, the way they conduct themselves produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, friction with people. They're depraved in mind and deprived of truth. Think about this for a minute. If behind your life is a trail of envy, envy in you, envy that you've caused in other people, if behind your life and as a result of your life you see dissension in your wake, if you see your life producing slander in other people or or you slandering others, if you see evil, remember I said suspicions? Not all suspicions are good. Don't call it discernment. There's evil suspicions. Constant friction that you're causing, that your life is causing. If, if you see around your life and this is not to say you're a false prophet, you're a false teacher. I'm saying, let's be self, let's be introspective for a second. If I see these things in my own life and I'm constantly blaming someone else and saying, get them out of here. You're just not following God. You're not led by the spirit. You don't understand the truth. And if person after person comes into to my vicinity and my sphere of influence and I see these things between me and everyone I interact with, are they actually the problem? Let's be honest. Are they actually the problem or are you? If your life is characterized by suspicion and slander and dissension and envy and friction with people and quarreling about words and, and controversy, I just want to, I always want to debate. If, if that's what's characterizing your life, if that's what's around you, if that's what you see in between you and people, if that's what you see in those closest to you because of your life, if you're causing these things, doesn't mean you're a false teacher or a false prophet right off the bat. What I'm saying is, Maybe they're not the problem. They're depraved in mind. They're deprived of the truth. They imagine that godliness is a means of gain. Now, this is what I really wanted to get to, and we might run out of time. So we might have to break this down into a part two. I love you guys, but I can't be here forever. And I don't think it's helpful to just overload you. Godliness in their minds, following God, doing what he says, employing the truth, whatever... is involved in godly living or godliness, religious zeal, you know, uh, spiritual activity, all of that. They're saying, yes, they're looking at godliness and they're saying, this is not valuable in and of itself, but I can use it to get me stuff, to get me something valuable. Godliness is a means of gain for so many people. And if that's how a false teacher or false prophet views holiness, views godliness, views doing the right things for God and doing religious spiritual activities in the world, and they're like, I'm only doing that to get something else, that is a very large indication that they're not of the right spirit. Godliness with contentment is great gain. People who desire to be rich, it's interesting that Paul leads into loving money. And you go, why? Because I'm about to show you through a number of passages that what also accompanies false prophets and teachers is not just a love of self 
It's not just a desire for self-profit and self-gain and self-exaltation. You're going to see that part of a false prophet and false teacher's life and ministry and prophecies and teaching is a love for money. A love for money. Hey, real quick, don't forget to head to AboveReproachMinistry.com to check out all of our free resources, all of our Bible study courses, devotional studies, Bible study workshops, Bible study worksheets, all of my sermon notes, and more. And while you're there, grab a copy of my book, Fruitful, or snag some church merch. You can also find all these links in the video description below. I'm also very excited to announce Above Reproach Ministry Discussion Groups, or ARM Discussion Groups for short. Head to the website if you'd like to see what groups are available near you, or if you'd like to start one in your area, feel free to email me. The first season of video teachings have been compiled into a group study for you and other believers to dive into together. And in the months to come, I hope to have all nine seasons of these video teachings compiled into group studies for y'all to dive into together. We hope this encourages you to meet and grow with other believers to dive into the scriptures as the body of Christ. Well, that is all I have for you. Let's jump back into the message. Let's go to 1 John 4, 1 through 6. Beloved, don't believe every spirit. Whoop! What do you say? Don't believe every spirit. Meaning what? Everyone seems to have a spirit by which they're operating from. Now, spirit can just refer to, we can make it like, usually when you hear spirit, you hear a disembodied being, uh, someone, something who is invisible and spiritual and they're floating around. Or you hear spirit and you think some kind of force in this context, I can look up the word real quick, but I'm fairly certain that the spirit is like the way in which someone operates and functions. Almost like the, the framework that they're living and speaking from. And so when you hear that, don't believe every spirit. Everyone is operating from a spirit, living from a spirit, speaking from a spirit. At times, you, by the grace of God, you are submitted to the leading of the spirit of God. Other times, not so much. So in that sense, it's not that there's a demonic force inside of you taking it. It's that you are operating by a different framework that is contrary to the spirit, the spirit of the world, the spirit of the age, the spirit of Antichrist at times. Yikes. It is possible for that to happen at any given moment. I'm not always following Jesus with every, with every desire and ambition and, and, and thing that I do and every word that I speak. And I'm not always completely submitted to the leading of the spirit. So be very careful. You don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits whether they're from God. I'll say it like this. Just because a pastor has a track record of saying, nailing the word of God perfectly for the last 10 years doesn't mean he's not prone to making mistakes. I am absolutely prone to making mistakes, not intentionally, not to deceive you, not for clout, not for influence, not for money, but for out of just a, a good-hearted, genuine mistake. Didn't mean to. And so you shouldn't look to someone as an infallible source of knowledge. No one is that but God. So always test the spirits. Even the pastor you've been with for 35 years. Even the husband that's got every prophecy right and you're like, my husband just has the gift, man. Always test the spirit by which someone is speaking from and living by to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now watch. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. Whoa! Now that doesn't mean we take that and that's the only qualification for a believer. It's like, hey, excuse me. Do you believe Jesus came in the flesh? I, I guess so. A fellow believer. It's not the only qualification. But 
This is where you begin to discern. Every spirit that doesn't confess Jesus is not from God. Now, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, now is in the world already. So you'll see that a lot of false teachers, or I'll say this, the majority of their lives, they being false teachers and false prophets, their lives are characterized by worldliness. They're, they're, they live in the world. They live for the world. They live of the world. The world is their life. Show you a couple other things regarding false teachers and false prophets. Um, they go on in detail about visions. They're puffed up once again, pride, conceit. Um, there's a lack of humility. There's no desire to learn or be honest to the truth. Um, they're arrogant about what they believe. They have no reason. There's no logic. Their sensuous mind, this being um, fleshly, uh, not holding fast to the head. They don't hold to Jesus. And this is where we get to the fun part. And we'll have to end here because I, uh, man, we're going to have to make it a part two next week because, frankly, I want to talk about Balaam. I might actually wait till next week to do that. Okay, I just want to warm warm you up to the idea and whet your appetite, okay? Jude 1 through 8 through 11. When we're talking about false prophets and false teachers, one of the greatest, most fantastic examples is Balaam. Balaam. <clears throat> Jude 1, 8 through 11 says, In like manner, these people, referring to those who are unbelievers, False teachers, false prophets, they rely on their dreams. Once again, we see this theme of people who just rely on their own deceitful heart and mind and what comes from their own imaginations. They defile the flesh. Once again, a life characterized by sin and iniquity. They reject authority, haughtiness, pride. Once again, they blaspheme the glorious ones be very honest. I'm not entirely sure what that's about quite yet. I don't need to. Um, but when the archangel Michael, Michal, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he didn't presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment. But he said, the Lord rebuke you. These people, though, they blaspheme all they don't understand. They're destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Notice how like they're led by instincts. They're unreasonable. It's like they're just animals, man. They walk in the way of Cain. They abandon themselves for the sake of gain. Now, remember how I said 1 Timothy, was it? 1 Timothy 6 started to give us an idea of what it means that these false prophets, false teachers are deceiving people. Like they're deceiving for self-gain. They're going, how can I trick people so I can get more stuff and money is what they're after one of the uh, again what comes accompanied with all these other things for po false prophets and false teachers is a love of money now if you put all these things together you start to form a mosaic of what a false prophet or false teacher really is they love money they love personal gain to Balaam's error and they've perished in Korah's rebellion. So they are rebellious. They're deceitful. They're purposefully, intentionally tricking, leading people away from God, lying. And they just want money. 
Money, money, money drives their decisions. I'll end here because Balaam has to be a standalone message. It's going to have to be. There, there's too much to talk about when it comes to Balaam. 2 Peter 2.1 says, False prophets also arose among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying Jesus, the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Many will follow their what? Sensuality. A life of fleshly pleasure. And because of them, the way of truth is blasphemed. In their greed, they'll exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. Here's what I want to end with. Okay, When it comes to false prophets, I just want to look at a few of the main characteristics to reiterate. They are destructive and they're going towards destruction their life is characterized by sensuality fleshly pleasure sexual immorality adultery all these different things they cause other people to follow in their wake and go with them in their sensuality they encourage sin and the way of truth is blasphemed because of them claiming to follow God They love money. They're greedy. They want selfish gain. They just care about themselves. They just care about exploiting you and lying to you to get what they want. These are all the different... So when you hear false prophet, false teacher, before you label someone as that, I I would make sure, to be honest, like just because someone gets in a pulpit and says something wrong or even for a few weeks... They don't call people to, to repentance. And you're like, for ten for eight weeks, they've only talked about, you know, they're going through the book of Philippians and they haven't once talked about repentance. That doesn't make them a false prophet. It might make them unthoughtful and uncon- inconsiderate of those things. It doesn't make them a false prophet. You know, before we just go, uh, I don't know, think about whatever name comes to mind for you, who's a false prophet or false teacher. Before you just go, well, they, A, B, and C, make sure you see the necessary biblical evidence in their life of them being truly a false prophet or false teacher. Again, we have to wait, but next Monday, yeah, we're going to talk about Balaam, Balaam, however you want to pronounce his name. We're going to talk about what do we do with false prophets, and then we're going to talk about why I don't believe a wrong message or a, a mistake make someone a false prophet or false teacher. There's just a bunch of reasons I could think of right now. If a mista- if one mistake made us false prophets or false teachers, then that's what we all are because we all make mistakes. So we just got to think through these things as best as we can. So again, next week we'll look at Balaam and why he's like the poster boy of a false prophet. We'll look at what should we do with false prophets and how to continue identifying them so we can mark them and avoid them. And we'll also look at counterfeit visions, prophecies, and words that are legitimate and they truly give insight into the future, but they come from the powers of darkness. Kind of like uh, Pharaoh's magicians, the way they were able to counterfeit a few of Moses' signs or God's signs through Moses. And then we'll uh, ask the question, why does God allow false prophets to exist? What's his purpose? I know I kind of opened it up today, making it sound, sound like we'd get to, I thought we'd get there. 
but we're not even close to halfway done. So I apologize, that's my fault. But it is what it is. Hey, I just wanna thank you for all your support and prayers that make this ministry possible and help us to accomplish our mission. Your support makes it possible for us to create all the free resources we have available for anyone around the world. Our mission is to teach people how to read the Bible so they can live and teach the Bible themselves. So be sure to visit abovereproachministry.com for all these free resources and to support this ministry. And if you're a new believer, be sure to check out the new believer section on the homepage of our website and grab a copy of my book, Fruitful, while you're there. God bless you guys, and as always, keep moving towards Jesus.